All right, Philippians chapter 4, please. Philippians chapter 4. Boy, the joy of salvation. I hope you never get old of that. Amen. Rejoice in it. The old, old story. God is so good to us. Philippians chapter 4. And uh, this morning I want to preach a message that I've just called Keys to Contentment. Keys to Contentment. And I'll read from you, uh, starting verse number 1 to 13. It says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Once isn't enough, amen? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Let's pray. Father, I ask you, Lord, that you would just guide this message this morning. Uh, Lord, there's a lot to talk about, but I pray, Lord, that you would get across what you want to say to each heart here today. I pray, Lord, if someone here is lost, that, Lord, today would be the day of their salvation. I pray, Lord, if someone here is discouraged, that you would lift them up. If someone here is discontent, Lord, you would help them to be content with you. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so Paul, here he's talking about how that he rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now at last your care of me hath flourished again. In other words, the Apostle Paul was in prison. And in prison, they didn't give you three square meals a day. They didn't have the football game on. They didn't uh, have the cushy couch to sit on. These type of prisons were a dungeon. And if your friends and family didn't come and feed you, you just wouldn't get fed. Amen. And so basically what happened here is these, this church in Philippi was sending a gift to the Apostle Paul to take care of him while he was suffering in this prison. But the fact of the matter is, he says, guess what? Uh, he says, not that I speak in respect of want. That means I'm not saying I'm lacking anything. I rejoice that you did this for me. But can I tell you something? Don't think that you just saved my life. Because guess what? I have never lacked. I've never lacked. See, 
If there was somebody <clears throat> that could have complained or been discontent in his situation, it would, would have been the Apostle Paul. But here he is once again, not only teaching them on uh, rejoice in the Lord always, not only teaching them how to have peace in their hearts, but he's also saying, guess what? I have no needs. I can do all things through Christ. Teaching them on contentment. <laughs> here they are free. <clears throat> they can go home at night. They can spend time with their family. They can go to the store. They can go here. They can go to work, go wherever they want. The Apostle Paul writing this letter from prison is saying, hey, guys, learn to be content. Now, that's someone worth noting. <clears throat> that's something worth being taught, especially coming from a man that's in a dungeon, that's in a prison, that's in a jail, and yet he's totally content at peace with God, rejoicing every day on how good God is. Amen? Amen. So I want to talk a little bit about being content. There's four keys I want to talk about today. Contentment simply means to be self-complacent or to be sufficient. Sufficient for oneself, strong enough or processing enough to need no aid or support, independent of external circumstances, contented with one's lot, with one's means, though the slenderest. To be content is to live in perfect peace, trusting in God's ability to provide what is needed in every state of life. That is the Webster's 1828 definition of the word contentment. Now, that's not the 2022 definition of contentment, but that is the original definition from the first Webster's dictionary that Noah Webster put down is, to be content is to live in perfect peace, trusting in God's ability to provide what is needed in every state of life. That's a good dictionary writer. <laughs> Amen. We need more of them around. You know what? When you pick up a Webster's dictionary today, guess what? Noah Webster had very little to do with that dictionary. And not only that, they'll give you a Bible verse to support it. The world thrives in a state of discontentment. And said, and the thing is, Christians many times are following suit, discontent. Seeking for things to satisfy them outside of God's supply and outside of God's will. I don't know if, we, if we're preaching a fairy tale here to people. That means as preachers, we stand behind the pulpit and we tell you this. We tell you that God will take care of you for everything you could possibly need in your life. But to most people, that's a fairy tale. And yet we still go outside the bound of Scripture to get what we think we need, to feel satisfied in the things we think we want, and we come up empty and discontent every single time. But you have the Apostle Paul in prison, having nothing, and he says, I'm completely content. What is the difference? You got a man that believes God. Can I tell you it's that simple today? You know what we need today in the church is Christians that believe God. If we would believe God, we could take this little assembly here and make a dent in this city, in Airdrie, in every city, in this province for the Lord Jesus Christ. But we've got to start believing him. 
We got to start being content. And you know what? There are, there are signs of whether we're content or not. I want to give you key number one. Discontentment must be identified. Because most people, if I'd come to you and say, are you discontent? Oh, no, very happy. <laughs> but it's not about whether you think you are. It's, either, it's, it's about whether you really are discontent. Now, how do we know that? There's three signs of discontentment. Number one, we have contention with people. Verse number two, it says, I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. The Apostle Paul is being mistreated, imprisoned, is teaching on how to get along. <laughs> Amen. Here we are free, being able to live our life in, in this free country, given all of this by the blessing of God, and yet we're at each other's throats day and night because we're discontent. Folks, you got to look at your life. If you're at each other's throats, and if you're always discontent or, or at, in a contention with people, that's a sign of your discontentment. You're discontent. Something outside of you is stealing your peace. Because when a person is content, they have peace in their situation. Amen? Do you have peace in your situation? Folks, not everybody's going to like you. In fact, the Bible says that beware when all men speak well of you. Amen? That means if you're going to do the right thing, you're going to have some people not liking you. <laughs> all right? That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about you. Are you contentious with other people? Other people may not like you. That's just part and parcel of being in this dirty, rotten, stinking world. But I'm going to tell you something. Are you contentious with other people? Do you argue with others? Do you cause problems? That's a sign of you being discontent. Amen? Another thing is care concerning circumstances. This is worry, anxiety. Verse number six, we see, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. What does that mean to be careful for nothing? It doesn't mean not to care about anything. I just don't care. I don't care about you. I don't care. No, that's not what it's saying. We care about people. In fact, the Apostle Paul many times talked about the care of the churches. Amen. He, he carried that on his shoulder, the care of the churches. I carry on my shoulders the care of this church. It's a heavy burden. So I'm, it's not saying don't care, but being careful is, it says, don't be anxious. Anxiety. We live in a day of anxiety epidemic. <laughs> and we even got labels for it now by the world. They give you labels for your anxiety so you don't have to feel bad about having it because it's, you can't help it. Can I tell you something? If you couldn't help it, then why would God tell you to be careful for nothing? Now, either the psychologists are true or God's true. And I believe God first. Now, you say, well, preacher, you're old, whatever. <laughs> I'm just going to go before God by faith. How's that? I'm just going to try to live my life by faith instead of swallowing everything this world tries to put down my throat. You know, many times people say, you're trying to push your religion down my throat. What about this world putting stuff down your throat? <laughs> Amen? Folks, it says, be careful for nothing. Jesus said it himself. You know how many, he says, take no thought for your life. 
To me, taking no thought means no thoughts. That's not one thought. That's not half a thought. That's not even a quarter thought. He's saying, I don't want you to take one thought about whether I'm going to take care of you or not. Do you understand that? Israel. Israel were stiff-necked and rebellious people. But you know what God did for them every day? Sent down manna. Every day, 40 years. They wandered outside of the will of God for 40 years. They didn't do the will of God. They didn't care about the will of God. They actually missed the will of God for their life. They were castaways in all senses of the word. They were put on a shelf. God couldn't use them. God was basically waiting for the adults to die so they could bring the children into the will of God. And you know what God did every day? Sent down manna from heaven. When Jesus says, take no thought for your life, that's exactly what he means. He will take care of you. You know what? Now, I know there's far greater blessings to have. Inside of the promised land, guess what? There were grapes. There was milk and honey. The land was flowing with it. They could have had a real blessed life. But you know what? Even though they chose to wander their whole life, God still took care of them. Just no milk and honey. You understand that? So don't sit here and say, i got to be anxious about my life. No, you don't. In fact, that's why you will never be delivered. The key to being delivered from anxiety is to finally, at one point in your life, look God in the eye and say, I believe you. I believe you today. You're right. I'm wrong. I'm tired of my way. We're doing it your way. Amen? That's where we got to get to. You know, if we don't get to that point, you'll be anxious every day of your life, and then you're going to meet God, and you know what he's going to say when you complain about your anxiety? He'll say, be careful for nothing. Philippians 4, verse 6. (laughs) If you expect him to expound any more than he's already expounded to you from the scripture when you see him face to face, you are sorely mistaken. He's going to tell you exactly what he's told you for thousands of years. You get that. (laughs) One of the signs that we are discontent is when we're constantly anxious about everything in our life. The effect of carefulness is a lack of peace in your life. Anxiety is an evidence of discontentment with something in your life. Constantly thinking about your circumstances. What needs to change? What needs to make you happy? Your debts, your health, your family situations, this, that, or the other. Whether I'm going to have my job in five years. All these different things are causing anxiety. And God says, don't you take one thought about it. Not one thought. Folks, I tell you, sometimes I start thinking about, Lord, this doesn't make sense. It's never, never has since I started in the ministry. When we stepped into our first ministry, it didn't make sense that we could pay our bills and live there. And yet God took care of us every day. Now, sometimes he takes you to a place where, boy, you have nothing extra. Sometimes he gives you a lot of extra. That's what the Paul's talking about. He says, sometimes I have a lot. Sometimes I don't have anything. I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Amen. Yeah. 
Covetousness concerning possessions is a sign that you're discontent. Paul was content in prison with a little. That's why in Philippians 4.11 it says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. So the word want means lack. Paul was grateful for the gift he received from the church in Philippi while he was in prison, but he didn't want anybody to be confused about the fact that the gift did not bring him contentment. He was already content. See, the problem with us is we're content because we think we have what we want. And then when that thing gets taken away, somehow we're, we've lost our contentment because we placed our contentment in the possessions. And that's what God says is wrong. You place your contentment in the promises. If he made you a promise, you can cash that check. Do you understand that? He, made, he wrote a check for you. He put his name on the bottom. He says, tell you what, you can cash this check anytime. I will take care of you. So your contentment has to be in the Lord, not in your possessions. Not in your circumstances of life, whether everybody's getting along, uh, whether your health is perfect, whether your financial life is perfect, those kind of things, guess what? They never seem to line up exactly right. <laughs> Amen. And the Lord sometimes puts us in those situations. Why? So that we'll learn what true contentment is. <laughs> he says, come to me now. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Amen. Paul was content in prison with little. Paul was content that the Lord would take care of him. And that's why uh, Hebrews 13, verse 5, it says, let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Never leave thee nor forsake thee. So he's saying, don't live your life in a lifestyle of coveting things, desiring things. Because he says, be content with whatever you have right now. So take an inventory. What has God given you? You should be completely content right now with what you have. Not with what you're working on. Not with your plan for the future. Not, hey, I got this thing in, work, in the works here. I invested in cryptocurrency and it's going to give me this. No. <laughs> that is not contentment. In fact, you'll probably lose your shirt. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. Folks, take an inventory today. Yeah. Look at your life. And if you can't find contentment right now, I'll tell you something, you will never find it. Never. It's never going to be there. See, the thing is this, you need to understand that it's God that gives you what you need. And he doesn't reward people that don't believe him. So if you can trust him enough with what you have today, maybe God will give you what you need tomorrow that you think you need. You know, sometimes not only that, he gives you the desires of your heart. You know, for me, we, we um, initially we went to Kenora and um, I, I had this minivan. I told you about my Lumina, right? Did I tell you how I love my Lumina van? It, it was nice. <laughs> you guys don't believe me. It was Chevy, that's why, amen? But you know, in my heart, in my heart, I wanted a 4x4 four four Chevy truck. That's what I wanted. But you know, as we were in ministry, what I found out is I didn't need a 4x4 four four truck. So I felt bad about praying for it. 
But you know what we did need? We needed a 15-pastor van to pick up Sunday school kids. That was the will of God. So we began praying for that. We said, Lord, (laughs) but tucked away, tucked away in my heart was this Chevy truck. But I never made it a big deal because I knew what we really needed was this 15-passenger van. And so we started praying for it. And what the Lord did, he gave us that Lumina van. (laughs) My pride and joy. My wife's like, but you are crazy, I know. Uh, We blew the engine. So I don't know what happened. It was minus 32. We came back from Manitoba, just got into Kenora, and the thing just died on the road. And someone had to come pull us home. Next person to pull that van was Otto Wrecker. And so... A week after that, I was driving back to Kenora with a 15-pastor van. I didn't pay a cent for it. One year later, for some reason, we got another 15-pastor van. I was saying, okay, Lord, did I just ask for one, right? First one was a Chevy. Second one was a Dodge I should have known, you know. So we had two vans. So we'd use one for our family, one for the church. Guess what's tucked away in my heart? (laughs) <laughs> you know, that's the desires of my heart, but it's not something I'm saying, Lord, I need this or I'm going to die. <laughs> you know, we needed the van. But you know what? I had to wait a while. We finished that ministry, came to Winkler, and I started being an associate pastor there. And guess what the Lord gave me? The truck that I drive right now. That truck means a lot to me. It's a 2006, it's got 360,000 kilometers on it. My son says, I bet you if someone offered you a 2023 Chevy truck, you wouldn't even take it in exchange for yours. I said, I have to think about it. <laughs> I love my old truck. It just blew the rear end this year. We had to replace it. God was good. He provided the rear end for me. Amen. And I'm driving it again. Amen. I don't need a 2023 truck. I got a 2006 Chevy Silverado. Yeah. Four by four. Amen. And the Lord gave that to me because it was a desire of my heart. I didn't need it. You know, you, the roads are pretty good here, you know, periodically, uh, four by four time. But most time, two wheel drive time. But I'll just tell you something. The Lord has taught, you know, for the first few years of ministry, I was used to working for my dad. And I would get my paycheck <clears throat> every two weeks, automatically, no matter what. I'd never been since the time I was 16 years old without a paycheck because I worked for it. And when the Lord called me into ministry, that paycheck stopped. And now it was about, is the Lord going to do this? And he took a couple of years to teach me things. <laughs> you know, Because I'm looking to, I need to go to work and listen, just trust me. And you know what? He has done it ever since. I've been 20 years in the ministry and he's always taking care of us. Amen. I don't know people want to paint you to be a greedy preacher just out for money. That's not it. How many times have I preached on money in this church? I got one message that I did a few, probably last year on a Wednesday night on tithing. Amen. God's doing it. Now, maybe I need to preach on a Sunday morning. Amen. But the fact of the matter is that's not going to make a difference. You know what? Who gives? Those that are content in their heart. You know what I'm teaching this morning? I'm teaching tithing. <laughs> the reason why people don't tithe is they don't trust God. 
The reason why that I don't do what God's asked me to do is I don't trust God. The reason why I'm discontent is I don't trust God. Paul trusted God. I bet you Paul tithed in prison. <laughs> Whatever he got, I bet you he gave 10%. That's, that's godly. That's the way we ought to be. That's contentment. That rises out of contentment. If you're a discontent person, you're not going to be a faithful person. You're not going to be faithful to the things of God. Because you always think somehow, I've got to do this. I've got to make it happen. And my life, I don't have enough money. If I had enough money, I'd start serving God. If I had enough gas, I'd start driving for God. If I'd have enough time, I'd start doing stuff for God. If I had this discontentment, 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 time isn't enough, money's not enough, people are enough, the preacher's not good enough, the church isn't good enough, nobody's good enough, you're discontent. And you will never be content until you get right with the God of heaven. Because discontentment has nothing to do with what's around you. Dis- discontentment has to do totally with your heart and him. I have learned in whatsoever state I am, he says, therewith to be content. There's also three signs of contentment. There's joy. Philippians 4.4, 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. Hey, I've gone through hard times. I've had, I have had times where I have not slept at night. Where I've looked at the clock and said, boy, I guess it's morning. <laughs> no sense of going to bed now. <laughs> You've been there, Gord, you're looking at me. Poor guy. <laughs> you understand that? Even though things are tough sometimes, you can still have joy in your life. Joy is living a life of believing that God's involved. And no matter what I'm going through, and it may look ugly, it may look like the pug is about to be pulled on my life, guess what? That's not true. God will always be there for you. That's what happens when you're content. When I'm content with the Lord, I have joy. If I'm not content, there's no joy. Joy has been stolen. It's been stolen by my bills. It's been stolen by my relationships. It's been stolen because I don't have what I need. Because my husband isn't good enough. My wife needs to be better. Uh, da, 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 da. All these discontentments in my life have stolen my joy. Amen? Has nothing to do with your wife. Nothing to do with your home. It's your heart and him. Folks, I am never going to allow, I'm going to try not to allow anybody to be in control of whether I have joy or not. You can call me any name you want. (laughs) I'm going to still have joy with my God. Amen. They say sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. They'll hurt you. But you know what? You can still have joy. You can still have joy. Joy is an underlying state of understanding. God is in control, and things will be all right. Oh, the devil wants you to think, Watch the devil. He puts your mind through. So guess what? What's going on in your mind right now that you don't know to be truth is called imagination. Imaginations always come from the flesh and are always satanically influenced. You don't live your life by imagination. You live your life by the truth. A person that lives by the truth doesn't have to worry about what may happen because you know what will happen. Amen? That's how we live. 
That's why we're so fearful today. We're, what's going to happen? What's, what's this? What? You don't know it. Don't worry about it. Amen. Just do what you know to do and keep going forward. Amen. Joy. Number two is moderation. It says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The word moderation means mildness. We talked about it a little bit this morning about anger. Moderation is a restraint of violent passions or indulgence of appetite. That means it's self-control. That means instead of being one of these Christians, <laughs> you're one of these Christians. Maybe you have a little bump every now and then, you know, but you know what? You're, you're pretty moderate in your life. People coming up to you aren't going to bring you into a tailspin. People coming up to you aren't going to get you all freaked out and angry and blowing your top. See, that's what moderation means. <laughs> moderation means no matter what happens, I maintain a balanced life. Amen? Discontentment steals my moderation. Do, they, do the people see us this way? That's why it says, let your moderation be known unto all men. Moderation is a visible part of you. It's what people see in you. See, your moderation is known. <laughs> so you can't, you can't fake it. <laughs> Amen. They will know. <laughs> um, this is, do they see a person that is contentious, unbalanced, unhappy, or do they see a calmness in our actions? Do I make rash decisions in the heat of the moment? Do I fly off the handle? Do I go on rants and raves? That's because I'm discontent. Amen. It says, let your moderation be known unto all men. Now, I like that little phrase there, a little sentence. The Lord is at hand. Now, what does that mean? Well, where's your hand? Where's your hand? That's where your Lord is. Why can I be moderate? Because the Lord is at hand. Uh, it's not just talking about, well, because the Lord's coming. No, no, no. It's talking about that the Lord is here. The Lord is here. The reason why I don't have to fly off the handle when things happen to me in life is because I believe that the Lord is beside me every second of the day. And he absorbs that for me. He gives me that calmness and assurance and that, that security that I need in my life where I don't have to worry about being angry and all these different things in this world. That's why it says, be content with those things that you have. He says, for I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The Lord is at hand. Amen. We'll have peace in our heart. Philippians 4, 7, it taught, well, first it says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Peace is the guardian of your heart. Peace is the guard. That's what it means to keep. He will keep your hearts. It will guard your heart. The reason why I'm flying off the handle here is I got no peace. I remember one time I went to work. I was probably about, oh, uh, I think it was even before I was saved in my early 20s. And 
my work situation was kind of rough. And I, in fact, I was scared I was going to die. I really was. I, I'd go to work, and I thought I was going to be killed. <laughs> you say, you're crazy. Well, I think the Lord was playing with me there and, and preparing me for salvation. But I'd go to work, and we'd be put in these situations because we didn't have a lot of safety standards back then. And I'd be scared that I'd be buried alive sometimes. And even though, you know, we'd have buckets overhead, <laughs> all these things, you're down like 12, 15 feet. You're saying, man, if something came down, I'm gone. And so I started to think about this all the time that I could easily die here. And see, there was something wrong. So the one time on the way to work, I started arguing with my brother, and my brother was the boss. And I was arguing with him, and I told him I wanted to be on a machine. I wanted to operate, you know. And, and he, um, well, he didn't get where I, where, I, where, I was, where I was at. And so he just said, well, if you don't want to do what you're told, you can stay home. So he dropped me off at home. I was living at, I was living at home with my mom and dad. And so I go downstairs. I'm just distraught. I'm just... <laughs> I go down to my bed. And I sit there. And my mom comes down. And she, uh, she looks at me, what's going on? I couldn't explain it all. I just, whatever. <laughs> I, just, I was probably complaining. She says, she looks at me... You got no peace in your heart. Boy, what did she get that bang on? Praise God for a godly mother. Amen. You had no peace in your heart. And I knew it. I just knew it. <laughs> I got no peace. That's what's wrong. It's not the dirt. It's not the burying. It's not the machines. It's not the work. I'm just, don't have peace. I had no guard on my heart. And she said, son. She said, can I pray with you? She did. And, um. Now, I thought I was a good guy. I didn't realize my spiritual state like I should have at that point, you know. But my mother prayed with me. It's like God came down and just took my heart. I said, man, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. God just kind of caressed me that day. See, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer. See, if you don't go to God and talk to him, he's not going to respond. Nope. But you go to him and your heart is in turmoil, it's because you're discontent. I look at my, I want this job. I want, <laughs> it's not about your job. <laughs> well, you know, if this would change, and no, it's not about that. <laughs> You come to church, well, we just had a different pastor. Well, maybe you do need one, but the peace of God. Yeah. Oh, don't give man credit something for only God can do. <laughs> oh, if this would change, that would, no. <laughs> Nothing's going to help you. There's only one way to go, and that's on your knees and say, Lord, 
I'm in turmoil. I've been blaming everybody under the sun for why I'm a miserable person and I haven't taken responsibility for the fact that it's me. It's me, God. Could you please help me? Let him minister to your heart. He took that no good 21-year-old boy, didn't know how to behave himself, didn't know how to handle life, and he saw a future son. Not only that, he says, guess what? You're going to be a preacher. (laughs) He saw all of that. So when he came down that day, he knew exactly what he was doing. He opened up doors for me to finally understand my true need of Christ. My lack of peace. All of that had to do with my relationship with God. That's what it is. Peace must be allowed to rule in your hearts. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you're called in one body and be thankful. Thankfulness and peace have to be hand in hand. If you're not a grateful person, you'll never have peace. Because God will never hear your prayer. He's never going to accept your burden. You got to thank him. The other day I was going to the Lord, my burden. I says, yeah, it says I'm supposed to thank you, Lord. <laughs> I'm, just like, I'm saying, I'm trying to find a way to do that right now. But I did. And I said, I know that thanking you is the freedom that I need. I just thank you, Lord, for this burden. Thank you for this trial this hardship I'm going through. Thank you, Lord. See, that's the freedom. That's what unlocks the key. And, you'll, and when you do that and you thank him, that's when the peace comes down. Amen. But ungratefulness, that's also a, a sign of discontentment. I'm discontent with what I have because I'm ungrateful. Folks, like I've said, God has done great things here in this church. I don't get it sometimes why people are miserable in the house of God. I don't get it. There are people around this world that walk hours and they would sit for 10 hours listening to a preacher because they want it so bad. We have so much. We can't wait to go watch the hockey game or eat food or whatever else. Folks, we got a long way to go as Christians discontentment it's what it is it's the curse of our of our world it's the curse of our country it really is no peace no joy contention all these different things are because we simply are not content with the things that god has given in our life and we're always wanting it better and as soon as god takes it away then we realize i didn't know what i had until it's gone amen peace